Welcome to Fandom Power. What's up, guys? It's Wes, Andy, and Hank, and we are back once again. It's another another episode of Fandom Power presents the Fan Batch, or as I like to call it, Prelude to the Road to the Book of Boba Fett. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, man. Uh, I can't help it. That makes me chuckle every time. (laughs) It's a little... uh... We might have to wait a little longer for it, but the the candy is going to be very sweet when it comes. I'll tell you that. It's kind of funny because we went, we were we were a little bold last week. Or no, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, we were a little bold and like, okay, yeah, two episodes, we're getting them. Well, yeah, I bet the Falcon on the second <laughs> one yet last week. I, yeah, I lost the. Falcon you better hand week. the keys over, because guess yeah. what? Way to go, Lando. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So nice, but. But if we can just delay the the uh, the deal for a few days longer, I think we'll get our I think we'll get our antihero. You know, I I'm still firmly convinced that that is the way that the show is going. So much so, I got so caught up last week in in the actual plot beats that I actually forgot there was a major piece of info that I wanted to talk about last week to sort of tie up sort of how I feel like that introduction is going to happen. And it, and it goes back to uh, the Mandalorian. And uh, I'm just going to bring this up here for everybody to have a look at. So I ju- just put up an image of uh, it's, it's Boba Fett and Fennec Shand in uh, season two of the Mandalorian when they're at the, uh, the stone, the stone there. The seeing stone. Yeah, the seeing stone. So we know that it's Boba Fett that uh, saves Fennec Shand out in the desert. And, uh, you know, given what we know about bounty hunters in Star Wars, particularly after last week's episode where Fennec Shand says to uh, Cad Bane, you know, you of all people should know it's about the price. There's got to be a reason why Boba Fett saved her life. You can't tell me that he just stumbled out into the desert, found her body at near death and out of the goodness of his heart decided to save her. There's got yeah, to be they- something there. In that scene uh, from season one where they lay it out on the line, it's it's so much Boba Fett. You had to work for it, but yeah, the jangle of the boot, the uh, the theme song, yeah, <laughs> it like so there was so many crumbs to indicate that it was Boba Fett from the get go, and I think that you'll I think that's how we're gonna get this. It's the gateway is their relationship and how far it goes back. It makes sense because you know maybe if there's an angle. But it seems like going above and beyond to, like, turn somebody into a droid to save their life, you know. We made an analogy early on in our show about how, or sorry, back in The Mandalorian, how the Fennec-Boba relationship is the mirror of the Jango-Zam relationship, like they were kind of partners. Fully. Fully. We don't know how long the Jango and Zam had worked together prior to Zam's demise, but presumably they had worked together at least a few times. Yeah, and, and I, um, they worked together in the comics and some of the legend stuff more extensively than the movie. Like, you know, they made her more important, certainly. I can't help but, you know, guess, surmise that Fennec and Boba have a similar relationship in the sense that I think at this point in, in the history or in the in the timeline, and I, specifically where the Bad Batch is concerned, I think that Fennec and Boba 
they already have an established relationship that we just haven't seen yet. It may be strictly professional at this point, but, you know, Fennec Shand, who is now aware that Omega <laughs> Omega is a part of a larger plot uh, for, you know, potentially nefarious purposes, may have an interest in telling Boba Fett that there is another. And uh, as we've already sort of touched on before, when Boba Fett finds out, and it's not a matter of if, it's when, when Boba Fett finds out that he has a sister, you can't tell me that he's not going to come knocking. You know, and if anybody has the ability to get a hold of Boba Fett, you know, yeah. like track a clone, if it, it's it's got to be the Kaminoans. Yes. And so my my money is on uh, Nala Se. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, as long you know, as she like, doesn't have a ton, we a connection. <laughs> right. Right. So if if she hasn't already hired Boba Fett, and yeah. Boba Fett has sent Fennec Shan to do the the do right then we might see them meet so we might see the beginning of their relationship yeah but i think i, I feel like kind of like you that we would probably see an already established relationship yeah i think so on some level and it, and it could just be that simple hank it could be that she's a subcontract of him maybe well. right because he's got the he's got the crates claw that little guild he's got he's yeah. got a little you know so it's you know, she's an upper and comer. You know, these are you know ostensibly Bosk was a, uh, you know, not right, not right. preeminent. You know, and they also they all come up. They set you know even though they're all on sort of stage in Empire, they set Dengar and IG eighty eight as adversaries always in yeah. the modern comics. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. those two are they're they're not like affiliated. The fact that no, you see them no. on the bridge staying, they're not killing each other is wow. supposed to be like just amazing that that in the presence right, of right. Vader, they're not tearing each other to shreds because normally they would be yeah kind of cool again though you know in the in that whole bounty hunter uh you know in the in the bigger picture we're now like we're, we've got a taste of what what guilds bounty hunting guilds look like in the star wars universe through the mandalorian we have reinforcing statements from fennec shan talking about you know price is everything that you know for the right price we can put stuff aside and we can I don't know if the word is be civil <laughs> or we right, can, right, we can right. not be homicidal towards each other. <laughs> yeah. I mean, literally Din Djarin says, I'll split the bounty with you. And that's right. acceptable to a, a droid bounty hunter. So yeah. there is some sort of, you know, there's an honor among uh, thieves. Uh, that's, that's exactly yeah. the phrase I was thinking. Absolutely. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. But to go back yeah. and just to rehit this point, uh, if they do a rehashing of that animatic, yeah, and yeah, with Cad Bane on one side and Boba on the other, perhaps they get there because Cad Bane already established has his surrounding allies. Yeah, and Fennec Shan needs some backup herself. Which oh, will that's bring entirely that into fold. that's entirely possible. I mean, if you look at those bounty hunter episodes from uh, the Clone Wars, and you saw that the the cadre of people that he had surrounded himself with, we've still got. Embo and Aura Singh and some of the other Clone Wars bounty hunters are still active. So certainly it wouldn't be a, a far stretch for Cad Bane to uh, put a crew together, you know, for his own interests and, and then have a whole, you know, as you said in the comics, Hank, a bounty hunter war. Yeah, no, it's true. That could uh, be an interesting play out. Mm -hmm. All right. So. I think we've kind of wrapped it up here on how we think we're going to get to Boba Fett. I just wanted to make sure that we, we hit that for people who just aren't, you know, uh, as uh, intimately familiar with the connections between all the media that uh, it's important to know, like, that that whole he didn't, 
he didn't save her for no reason. There, there was something else going on there. Definitely. And I think we're going to see that play out over the course of, of if not this show, then definitely, of course, the book of Boba Fett, which kind of cool. If she was a changeling too, <laughs> yeah, just really her yeah. default. Yeah. I'd buy it. Although now with all of the cybernetic parts, would that even, mm. who knows? <laughs> all right. Work. So this one's cool. This one, it's uh, the bad batch episode 10. This one's called common ground. It's debuted Friday, July 2nd, 2021. It has a runtime of 24 minutes and 33 seconds without the credits or a solid 28 minutes if you want to sit through all the language versions. <laughs> this one's written by uh, Gersimran Sandu and directed by our old pal Saul Ruiz. This week's synopsis reads as the batch has their ideology challenged. I think we should just kind of talk thematically here for a second about um, about that theme of common ground because it, it comes up quite a bit in in the nuance of the episode where we see you know once again I'm gonna I'm gonna touch on Echo because Echo is kind of a bit of a sounding board for for one side of that coin this week, whereas maybe the uh, the client is the other side of that where Echo's still sort of in that uh, you know. Black and white, I'm a soldier. There's only, you know, one point of view. And uh, this week's episode puts that, uh, puts that whole uh, notion to the, to the test. Yeah, absolutely. The enemy of my enemy is my friend, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, ostensibly, the, the Clone Wars is analogous to World War I in the way that, uh, you know, colonists and empire clashed and over, over territory, trying to make their stakes in the galaxy or on right. Earth bigger. Right, just expanding borders. It was really just a border expansion thing. Yeah, and you see the fallout. What's really important: the common ground is also between worlds that were previously at war. Yeah, and now we we see that the common ground is that they're all oppressed by the empire. It doesn't matter if you were a separatist or 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 a republic before. If you if, you know, you, maybe the separatists have a chance to rebel before the you know because republic just became empire so i'm going to talk about that a little bit later it was something you were still used to that's going to go it's going to come up later in my notes organically but i i have some questions around that you know like former uh confederate worlds uh now being part of the empire versus former republic worlds now being part of the the newly minted empire and is there some of course there are some ideological differences there i mean again two sides of, of the war but now under one common government and uh it's right. interesting the way that it's depicted this week and it's not an accident that we you know we just don't go to any confederate planet we, we're going to the confederate capital yeah yeah right so all right you want to get into it let's do it okay let's do it this week's episode opens with a shot of the senate building in the capital city on the planet of raxus as you just said the uh the seat of government, the seat of power for the uh, former Confederacy of Independent States, or independent systems, I should say. The Separatists. Pretty cool looking uh, architecture there. I don't remember a whole lot. It, it gives me sort of this Victorian England kind of vibe. You know, like mm -hmm. you can almost see London Bridge in there <laughs> across the top. It's pretty cool looking, though. As the you city, say, the, you know, the other buildings around it are vast and large. That, yeah, they that, are. That central castle type thing is 
ginormous. Yeah. And there's skyscrapers in the foreground, right? Absolutely. As you say, it, it was the uh, seat of government for the uh, former Confederacy. Uh, and we get uh, a shot of a balcony overlooking a square in front of the Senate building while an Imperial officer, Captain Bragg, is seen addressing the assembled people below while they jeer and boo at her. They do not like this woman. And uh, very shortly, she's going to kind of give us an indication as to why that might be. It's kind of like somebody stepping up and not being the Pope. (laughs) Very Vatican-ish vibe to this whole place. You're expecting the Pope and you get the lead singer from Ghost. (laughs) Yeah. All the Ghost fans in the world just went, yeah. (laughs) All right. The officer goes on to espouse the virtues of the Empire, saying that all planets within the Confederacy of Independent Systems would be treated fairly in exchange for their loyalty which, according to the young woman, has not been forthcoming. She then goes on to say that a mandatory curfew is about to be put in place and that the curfew was approved by their very own Senator Avi Singh, who will now address the crowd. Something going on is crazy here when you think of, like, (laughs) this is the conquering German war machine giving a speech in Washington. Yeah. This is the capital of the former enemy. That's right. Like, the connotations here, like, (laughs) no wonder the guy doesn't want to fold, you know? And it's not the first time we've been here, right? No, it's not. We've been here during the Clone Wars. And and that's one of the places where they they actually do a really good job of, for lack of a better term, humanizing the Separatists. Yeah, yeah. You'll recall that Padme and uh, Ahsoka go on a mission there to try to like you know stop the war literally try to negotiate head to head because her former uh, Padme's former mentor is a a senator for, I think from Ward Mantel or uh, oh yeah Onderon she's uh, actually she's a senator from Onderon oh that's right it's a uh, it's a uh, senator Bonteri Bonteri yeah, yeah right and then so and then Ahsoka meets that other senator and you know and the, their stories are very similar and so it it goes a long way to establish connections and, and blur the lines way back in the Clone War. Yeah. So, again, it's very important that we're returning here. It is, yeah. So the, uh, the floor is turned over to uh, Senator Avi Singh. And uh, Avi Singh with his uh, droid companion GS-8, uh, who have been, up until now, have been standing uh, sort of on the balcony looking on helplessly, knowing that uh, he's been propped up as a puppet for the Empire. So, like you say, like, I know that the Separatists were on the losing side of the war, but I I have to say, this is where I was saying earlier, I wanted to talk about this just a little bit more, because particularly the way that it was presented through Star Wars Legends, and even in, now Hank, you've read the novelization of Star Wars, Mm. so you remember in the prologue, they talk about Palpatine's rise to power and how the, the... the the solidifying of the imperial government was to me i always thought that it was something that occurred over a much longer period of time like years and years and years till till we see at the beginning of a new hope when the the last remnants of the senate have been swept away so they, they, he describes it like the uh, like a tree that rotted from within yeah which which gives like is the sense of time that you're That's talking right, yeah. about yeah 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 so here we are, you know, weeks, you know, early, early after Order 66, 
and we have that classic empire is bad like we've just annexed you conform or else and i thought that that was more of a gradual process so but it brings up the question for me are republic are former republic worlds getting the same you know, I mean, there again, this ideological difference where the Republic was the winning side of the war. So presumably some Republic worlds, when they flipped over to become the Empire, they're like, okay, we're the Empire now, and they don't care. Like, well, sure, Coruscant, I bet. Sure. Uh, bet well, we did see on the one no planet. We right? did, like, yeah. Where, you know, and it, they go marching down the street and everybody's cheering. Yeah, it's a big rah-rah. Yeah. That's the funny thing about totalitarian regimes is if you toe the line, you're going to do fine. Exactly. Even if you in your heart you know what's going on is wrong, if you toe the line, you're going to be fine. And that's that's the that's the huge problem with that. I found myself thinking about this sort of like you know when Dooku went went out and became the 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 figurehead for the the Confederacy. You really get this in the in the Revenge of the Sith novel. He believed that he was right. He actually believed that the Republic as a government had stagnated and that you know separation from the Republic was the right thing to do. So he believed in the movement that the Confederacy represented. So you have to There's think, a... you know, we've lost the war now. So now we're, we are the Republic, which has now just been rebranded as the Empire. They, they don't feel any different than they did during the war. There was a, also another return to Raxus involving Dooku, where I think it was an abandoned, there might even be semi-finished episodes but it's an abandoned plot line from clone wars where asajj ventress teams up with uh oh my goodness quinlan boss in an attempt to assassinate dooku on raxus interesting i think that's the one of the uh it might have made it into a novel right right that i haven't read i believe it did make it into a novel yeah um it's like a redemption arc for ventress and uh they they don't really touch on that i'm going way off topic Mm -hmm. with they she was a Jedi Padawan before That's right, she was yeah, turned. Yeah. Right. So it's just interesting to see the contrast between, as you said, Andy, we saw this on a, a former Republic world where it was like ticker tape parade and everybody was cheering. Now we're visiting a Confederate world where it's like, boo. <laughs> you know, like, so it yeah, just totally. begs, begs the question, like, where, where the public perception is concerned, you know, there's such a stark contrast. But as the senator steps up to the railing, he instructs his droid servant GS8 to carry out a very set, uh, a very specific set of instructions with the condition, you know, should something happen to me, I need you to do exactly what I say. So, I mean, clearly he's got this sense of this may not go the way that he wants it to. So interesting to note here, uh, uh, Senator Avi Singh, I don't know if you guys picked it out, it's voiced by uh, Alexander Siddig. And if mm-hmm. you're not familiar with Alexander Siddig, you may recognize him as Dr. Julian Bashir from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Oh, I thought it was the Prince of Dorne from Game of Thrones. Oh my god, he's a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful actor. Yeah, he's um, great. He's really good in this. I really, really like the, the Second Star Trek actor to jump ship and play a separatist senator, too. Who's the other uh, one? George Takai. Oh, I that's right. Two of yeah, Clone Wars, yeah. yeah. So, with confidence in his voice, the senator encourages his people to follow the new laws set forth by the Empire. But as his speech continues, the conviction in his voice begins to wane. Pausing for a moment, the senator decides that he cannot abandon his responsibility to the people and publicly denounces the imperial occupation as unjust. 
And then uh, before the uh, senator's speech can get too carried away, Captain Bragg takes him into custody and orders her troops to disperse the unruly crowd in the square below. At the same time, GS-8 quietly slips away in the commotion. And I mean, like, I think of these like, like the United States during the Civil Rights Movement and how, uh, you know, the police were used to uh, clear the streets. And uh, mm. that's a pretty scary looking image when you see like, you know, at least three ATTEs uh, and all those troops. Looks like Minnesota from a year ago. Yeah. I had an issue with this scene because like the people are clearly when they say, you know, disperse, go home, whatever. It's like the riot line. Yeah. And they're still fighting back. And then they say, you know, bring up the rest. Where did they come from? Like, they get there for, like, a slow-moving machine. They're on the scene really Yeah, they quick. do. The response times are pretty fast in so. this episode. And, then, and it's they at that point. They could have been point, there for protection know. before. And Maybe. Being, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I mean uh, it's, not, it's not a far stretch. The walkers, I can see that being an issue. But the troops themselves, it's not yeah, a no, far no. stretch to say that they weren't maybe stationed in the building. Yeah. You know, much like the... The rotunda on Coruscant had the the Senate guard. I'm sure there had something in place. Yeah, because like I can see, you know, a little bit of pushback if it's just a line of riot cops. Yep. But when you know you have a tank at your back, you're not going to push too hard. <laughs> no. Let alone three. And, I mean, you got to expect that they're going to have a pretty large force on the sort of former enemy homeworld, if yeah. you will. Like, yeah, yeah. And like they they've come here to like you know to bring them to heal any sort of yeah. They're, they're not having even the, an inkling of a rebellion or, you know, it's not even that yet, but they're not, they are definitely squashing any sort of resistance. Yeah, yeah. So down in the square below, as Imperial troops continue to clear out the area, GS-8 takes cover behind a stone column and using her handheld comm link sends a message asking for help because her master, Senator Avi Singh, has been taken into custody by Imperial forces and is now in grave danger i really love the characterization of this droid i mean uh she's the classic looking uh what's it, the death star droid i guess is what the, the kenner action figure would have been called yeah is it like ra7 i can't remember the 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 model number but she's our 3po for the episode and and she's <laughs> she's really good <laughs> Back on Ord Mantell, the Bad Batch make their way through the streets, headed back to Sid's place. And sitting atop Wrecker's shoulders, Omega enjoys a carton of Mantell mix. Running up the- that tab again. <laughs> while the group discusses their next, uh, their next mission. But knowing that there are at least two bounty hunters after Omega, Hunter decides that there's too much heat on them, and Omega needs a break. But there is no break to be had because Sid meets the group at the door with her data pad in hand, containing the details for yet another mission. There's a little, there's a little scene here where Echo is sniffing the Mantel mix, contemplating I whether saw he that. it or not. And I was, I was wondering, can he, does he eat food anymore? Like how does he? How I, much is left? I don't know. Yeah, it's the RoboCop thing, right? When they take him apart, mm-hmm. and you're kind of looking. Oh, there's a lung, and there's a, there's a nervous system, and. Right. Yeah. 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 Maybe the Mantel mix will be the final straw that bonds them all together. (laughs) Yeah, really. eh? In a final, (laughs) we're all a fully functioning squad now. Here's our Mantel mix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have this uh, image here of Sid and she pops up a little hollow and it's it's a hollow of uh, Senator Singh. 
Sid explains that the mission is to rescue a former Separatist senator from an uh, Imperial outpost, but Hunter outrightly refuses. However, Sid being Sid reminds Hunter of the debt that they owe her and adds that a job is a job. But with the Empire on the tail of the Bad Batch, Hunter doesn't want to take Omega to an Imperial-controlled world. And in a rather self-serving way, Sid suggests they leave Omega with her, that by keeping Omega safe, it ensures more credits for her. Resolved that this is the logical course of action, Hunter turns to break the news uh, to Omega. And Omega, with a snap salute, reports that she's ready for the next mission. I actually quite like that, that little, uh, sergeant. And when Hunter explains that she has to sit this one out, we can see that she's confused and upset. Because in her eyes, she's now part of the team. And Hunter reminds her that part of being a soldier means following orders, and Omega begrudgingly accepts the explanation with a sigh. And as the Batch departs for Raxus, Sid says, I've got a mission for you, and promptly puts Omega to work cleaning the bar. Now, as we cut to the Havoc Marauder, now traveling through hyperspace, the members of Clone Force 99 discuss the mission that they're about to undertake. This is a cool uh, little bit, I know, touching on that nuance, you know, that the show seems to be uh, throwing at us left and right, where we dip into the themes of, of common ground and as I was saying, how I'm gonna I'm gonna harp on Echo again because he's our he's one half of that coin. You know, Echo's having some trouble accepting the fact that they are in fact on their way to help a separatist senator. While Hunter says that uh, he always thought they'd make it to Raxus someday, but not like this. So presumably, uh, you know, you know, visions of storming the capital. I think there's um you know the separatists did that to Echo. Yeah, it's, it's something that. None of the other ones have in common with him. That, like, That's he was so true. Tortured and altered, and his humanity stripped. And you know, <laughs> how would any of us feel? Yeah, you know, more so for him than any other. And 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 the fact that he was a reg too. That didn't he operated by the books with you know he was an arc trooper. Very much his, so. Yeah, his troops. And, I think a part of that really shows through here. And I mean. It, it totally, uh, I glossed over the fact that, you know, he had been tortured. And you're right, that has to be weighing on him on some level. Yeah. And some of that PTSD we talked about early yeah. on in the show that we were wondering, you know, it's it might rear its head. And we thought, would they be, would it be too derivative of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier right, stuff? But right. certainly there's something deeper going on with Echo. And it's harder for him to, to not see the black and whites. I think you used that term in the, in the chat. Yeah, yeah. Um, of... You know, of this, you know, he he's not taking it with such a, a grain of salt as the rest of them. No, not at all. So as the Havoc Marauder makes for Planetfall, a pair of Alpha-3 Nimbus-class V-Wing starfighters intercept the batch, settling into an escort formation. Oh, man, I want to talk about this for a second, because this starfighter design, as far as I'm concerned, was criminally underused so good uh in the films and in the animation we barely barely saw these we saw one uh, a couple weeks ago uh patrolling over camino and we saw a pair of them in revenge of the sith escorting the supreme or i guess we can't say supreme chancellor anymore uh Mm. escorting (laughs) the emperor's command shuttle but the nimbus class i'm going to just touch on a little bit because we like we like starships in star wars the, the Nimbus, the V-Wing, uh, so stylistically speaking, the V-Wing was kind of meant to represent the precursor to the TIE Fighter, 
and they do share some design elements in the sense that uh, twin ion engines and the large radiator panels and just like a TIE fighter is a non-pressurized cabin so the, the the clone pilots actually have to wear a hardened vac suit just to fly it which is kind of cool but uh Here's the thing, right? This is the fighter that was billed as the space superiority fighter that replaced the torrent fighter. And I mean, I know they say that it came out late in the war, but like, man, that last season, like when we were when we were watching uh, Revenge of the Sith and we saw that battle over Coruscant, like I'm sure they were in there, but man, they were just I just don't think they were used enough. Anyway, yeah, I, I, I love that. You design. can fly them in Battlefront uh, 2. I love um, that design so and they're, much. They're fan, yeah, they're fun to fly. Maybe it's a money thing for Star Wars. It could be. Like, if they're the personal escort of the Emperor, you got to yeah, imagine yeah. that they're like a high-class fighter. So yeah. they wouldn't just deploy, you know, wave upon wave. Right, upon. right, right. Well, but the thing is, same thing, right? Like I say, like they're the they're the, the spiritual uh, precursor to the TIE fighter. No hyperdrive, no, no pressurization. Uh, you know, just essentially a, a cockpit pod sitting on top of an engine with some heated yeah, radiators. They have that sort of Jedi starfighter. They no, do, nose yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. You know, it's like they're moving from one thing to another very Yeah, slowly. there's a transitional element in there. So one of the clone pilots orders the batch to transmit a clearance code, because we've never heard that before. And mm-hmm. uh, after a brief moment of tension, much like we saw on the command shuttle during Return of the Jedi... The code checks out, and the Havoc Marauder is cleared on it to continue on its way. We get another instance here with Echo where he still sees things kind of in black and white. He's not convinced that the clearance code will check out, and even after it does, he's still not convinced that whoever they're working for is trustworthy. It's a trap! Yeah, exactly. Landing at the rendezvous just outside the capital city, the Batch debark the Havoc Marauder. Cool little, uh... Looks like an autumn kind of, you know, fall colors, foresty area. Lots and lots of forest outside the city here. And the repeating theme of getting the jump on them, they parked far away. That's right, yeah, yeah. Debarking the Marauder, Echo and Tech are debating the relevancy of the client being a former separatist until Hunter tells them to forget about politics, reminding them that they're there to do a job. When from behind a nearby tree, a very relieved GS-8 walks out to meet them. She even says something like, uh, oh, I'm relieved to hear that. (laughs) That they just want to get to work. The Batch is very much caught off guard as they learn that the droid GS-8 is in fact the client. And as she tries to explain the conditions of her master's arrest, Echo cuts her off with a sharp, we don't care. And Hunter follows that up with, just take us to where he's being held. Back on Ord Mantala, dejected Omega mopes around the bar until Sid finally can't take it anymore and finally asks, what's wrong? <laughs> oh, and, you know, and it's, did you see how she's just kind of like blankly staring and then just barely moving the, the sponge? <laughs> like, uh... <laughs> Typical kid. Very much so. Omega thinks that it's unfair that she's been left behind and Sid, being who she is, gives her the reality check that, hey, life isn't fair. At the same time, she imparts a little bit of wisdom, telling Omega that if you don't like it, you should do something about it. And then promptly follows that up with an insult, and maybe if you weren't so helpless, those four laser brains wouldn't have left you here with me! And the next scene 
it's it's really cool to see her be, you know, a, a, a kid where, and I don't know if you picked it up. Did you notice that she's, um, when I say she, Sid is carrying like uh, that staff. Omega hops off, like looks at her, literally bats the staff out of her way, jumps off the bar stool and storms across the bar, shaking her head the whole way. Did you notice that? <laughs> oh, true. it was so good. Wicked. All right, so Sid follows Omega across the bar to the booth that she's now sitting at. So Omega actually turns and says to her, I'm not useless. Uh, while Sid tries to explain how she promised Hunter to keep her safe, but Omega hisses back at her for how much, which I thought was kind of cool. That, you know, this kid's smart, man, and she's she's picking up on the, uh, the frenemy thing now. Oh, big time. Back on uh, Raxus. Imperial troops and walkers continue to patrol around the Senate building. The building is covered in surveillance cameras with additional troops standing guard outside. Get a nice little shot here of uh, through Tech's visor or Tech Vision as I'm. Last week we had uh, what was it Hunter, Hunter Vision. Vision Hunter Vision with their the Hunter Cam <laughs> with the Republic mm-hmm. Commando view. Now we get Tech Vision. I'm just noticing uh, that numbers aren't Orabesh. Are they actual numbers? They look like actual numbers. So there's a show. there's a precedence for actual uh, numbers in Star Wars and characters because a lot a lot of stuff in the original Star Wars was in English, and I can't remember what the canonical explanation for that is, but mm. there is yeah there is a precedent for it. Some of them seem to be hybrids, like the nines look like they might be hybrids, maybe similar to the way uh, yeah. on Wrecker's helmet the nines right, are right, sort right. of dots with dashes, so they could be like a stylized rather than the dots which are really hard to read yeah yeah using an array of sensors within his visor tech determines that there are six guards outside the building and several more inside seething with suspicion echo pins gs8 against the wall accusing the droid of setting them up and he is not a happy camper and Mm -hmm. uh i know i know that uh droids are automatons and maybe don't have feelings but i gotta tell you if i was gs8 and i had these two guys kind of up my you know up my neck oh yeah i'd be a little nervous it's true and to hammer the point home that you know that he's reluctantly doing this for the enemy it's not only is it separatist but there's a droid involved just to hammer the point home well do you want to let's i want to talk about that for a second too because the irony in, and we've talked about this right from day one, and the the show has made a very, you know, has like put it in your face. Clones are property. Clones have no rights in society. They are, they are property. Guess what? So are droids. How ironic that these no right, you know, sentient uh, with no right pieces of property are now working for a sentient no right piece of property. It's true. It's how you can commit murder in a cartoon. It's true. It is true. There are stakes involved, right? Like, right, yeah. right. I think again, and and in its nuanced way, there's that common ground theme coming through just one more time. But GS8 refutes the claim, stating that her programming won't allow her to place uh, her allies in danger. And Wrecker, sharing in Echo's suspicion, adds, "We're not allies." So, creeping low and in single file, the batch moves swiftly down an alley towards the Senate building, avoiding the guards and staying out of the camera's sight lines. Hunter silently subdues a lone guard, giving the group a clear path to the front of the building. And uh, This reminded me of the approach on Theed from The Phantom Menace, 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Like when uh, Obi-Wan and, and Qui-Gon are skulking through the city trying to get, you know, establish the odds. And yeah. so it's almost like the inverse of that. They're, you know, we're tracking clones here. They were tracking droids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the city, this part of the city really feels like the uh, feed from the, the Battlefront game. It like does, the yeah. The wide streets and flowers and sunshine, but then chaos. Peering out from the alleyway, Hunter spots two Imperial troops guarding a doorway that they need to get through. With the decision to use GS-8 as a distraction, he shoves the droid out into the open street, where she is quickly spotted by the guards. And the guards shout at her that it's a restricted area, but GS-8 responds that this is her master's residence and suggests they leave. No, you leave. Yeah. <laughs> and then, mm-hmm. then does her like, oh, and she takes off. Then, quickly retreating back into the alleyway, the two guards blindly give chase. With the camera still fixed on the entrance to the alleyway, we can hear a brief scuffle punctuated by two loud thuds, and the Batch, along with GS8, then emerge and head for the door. <laughs> Another legacy moment. I was so reminded of that moment in A New Hope on the Falcon. Oh my god, yeah. Goes in and Hello there! <laughs> can you give me it's a perfect. hand up here? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's so good. Perfect. With the doorway now clear, GS8 inputs an entry code to access the door. We get a little bit of a little bit of Orabesh here, and I mean, even I picked up on this one. I didn't even have to open the alphabet to look at it. It says locked, (laughs) and then he opens it unlocked. So does that mean we're starting to learn how to? Because I didn't look it up to recognize the letters. Yeah, are we starting? how to read Orabesh. I think the right. con- context for this one was easy. Red light and door. Okay. Sure. I mean, but that's how you teach a kid, right? Apple, number, yo, right? absolutely. Red, yeah, Apple, yeah. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's it lets write a children's Orabesh book. Guys. Seriously. Yeah. Okay, perfect. The group moves quickly through the courtyard, avoiding a clone patrol. When they reach another control panel, tech patches into the security system, gaining control of the security cameras. We get a nice image of... Uh, some clones and uh, some ATTE walkers on his uh, datapad. Opening the door, Hunter orders Wrecker and Echo to clear the upper level while he and Tech, along with GS8, will take the ground floor and the lower levels. Uh, and for a while, everything goes along quite smoothly as each group hits their objectives using a variety of tactics and weapons like stun bolts, stun grenades, and hand-to-hand combat. And in a comedic moment, Hunter accidentally knocks a vase off of a pedestal, which is deftly caught by GS-8, who in true protocol droid form admonishes them with a do be careful, adding that the vase is priceless and was gifted to her master for his years of public service. Had a pretty good laugh at that. Uh, Never seen 3PO move that fast. (laughs) (laughs) Snatch a uh, vase mid-flight. It's important to point out here, though, they're... The batch is still using stun tactics. Like, they're refusing to kill their clone brothers. They are. Whereas the clones, full fire. Like, game on. But Absolutely. Yeah. So, again, as you we comedically or, or jokingly just said, it's a way to, uh, you know, in the Disney era of Star Wars, I mean, that's how you can get away with mass murder on screen is, you know, murder droids. So, even though that the, the Empire is the enemy, they're still... They're still clones, so I mean, there is a story beat there for them not to want to shoot to kill, but right. is there also, like, it's a kid's show? and we... A necessity to not Yeah, 
I don't think it has the GI Joe sort of kind of you know like where well they don't miss explosion they don't miss that's you know right. and in GI Joe you tens of thousands of rounds flying and nobody right, nobody right, gets right. hit these right, guys exactly. get hit all and the so time I think it's a conscious decision it has been since the moment they were put at odds with them on Camino yeah t- to stun them and not kill them I think so somewhere in that they believe. We could just get these chips out of their heads. We would have an army. <laughs> that whole like uh, you know, notion of clones being prisoners in their own heads, right? There's got to be an RPG there somewhere where we're yeah waking clones up to yep. fight the Empire. Yep. I mean, there's so much. There's some yeah. there's some scuttlebutt in the fan community that that may be what we're building to. That there may be a big blowout on Camino where there there may be a clone uprising, and that that still may uh, play out, and that could be the finale where you know, the last sort of sweeping the clones under the rug and going to 100% conscripted army. Yeah. Yeah. This episode of Fandom Power is brought to you in part by CollectorsPlatoon.ca. CollectorsPlatoon.ca, organizers of the annual Toronto Collectors Platoon Toy Show. Check out CollectorsPlatoon.ca, the Canadian home of Ian's display accessories, specializing in action figure stands for figures of all scales. Visit collectorsplatoon.ca today. Back at the bar, Sid plays a game of Dejaric against one of the regulars while Omega looks on from the bar. And of course, we've seen uh, Dejaric played out a few times in, in Star Wars media. Don't play against a Wookiee. Yeah. Surveying the table, Omega warns Sid about making her next move, but Sid dismisses her sarcastically and commits to the move anyway. And when Sid's hologram is defeated by her opponent, Omega says, I told you. Thoroughly unimpressed, Sid mocks Omega saying, well, expert, what should I do next? And uh, this is actually a pretty cool uh, moment here because Omega quietly gets up, approaches the table, presses a few buttons, and using Sid's last remaining hologram, which just happens to be the Mantellian Savrip, wins the game. And uh, if that doesn't ring a bell for you, uh, the Mantellian Savrip, it's the same uh, chess piece that R2 used to beat Chewbacca back in uh, the original Star Wars. Still has both his arms, by the way. <laughs> well, that's a Gundar. It's a myth. It's a, it's a myth perpetuated by Corellians. <laughs> yeah. When Sid asks Omega, how did you know how to do that? Omega tells her that it's a strategy game and she's good at strategy. Sid then goes on to question it's her. It's a Jedi trait. How good... <clears throat> Like, good enough to win a few matches for money? And Omega coyly replies, well, that depends on what my cut is. And they finally settle on uh, 60%. It's so she, She's come so far in that moment. Like, she now she understands the game, and she's actually better at the game now. Like, not Dejaric, I mean, the game. The game Sid. of, yes. Well, There's she starts so much respect 30. there in that moment that, of course, she's going to give her 60. Why not? So this may be like one of the biggest character development moments for Omega yet. The fact that she's a, uh, I don't want to go so far as to say master strategist, but she may in fact be a master strategist. So again, like, and we talk offline all the time. I mean, you guys that are listening and watching and all, like, uh, we, you know, early on, we kind of thought, is she, is she force sensitive? And, and I've gone back and forth on it a few times now and, and I'm still not 100% sure, but like you just said, it, you know, Hank, is this, a, is this a Jedi trait? Is it is it the Force showing through? Or and is this It doesn't have her... to be fully developed. Either. No, no, it, no. Like, 
it can just be this, you know, what happens to a person that is strong with the force, but is never, ever given formal training. Right. And that's kind of like, and it's, it's that RPG, RPG sort of Uber character that we've talked about, but it, in, in the coolest way, I, I've uh, never heard anybody, even theory go, I'd hate that if that happened. It's the uh, Obi-Wan <laughs> Kenobi, Obi-Wan Kenobi's explanation to Han Solo for luck. Right. Right, and it, and and it explains characters like Chirrut Umway. Yep, who yep. clearly <laughs> believe. On, let's face it. Yeah, cl- and clearly exhibited force-like abilities. Yeah, that's right. That's right. To take out a squad of of stormtroopers with a staff while blind, you're using the force, and so not formally trained. It's no. It's this yeah, sort yeah. Of more of like an intuitive. That whole, you know, uh, you know Qui-Gon, uh, the living force uh, versus the, uh, uh, oh my God, the other uh, the other kind. <laughs> um, the, the cosmic force. Right. So, but the living force, yeah. the idea that the force is its own thing. It's a sentient thing that sometimes controls you and that right. you can give yourself up to it sort of in the, in the sense of finality where like becoming a force ghost or as you say, like Jirat Imwe, you could give into the force and allow it to control your body. Right. Maybe and maybe it you know works in that way. So on that level, sure. Is this is her her strategic uh, sensibilities part of her genetic makeup? Maybe part of the you know maybe what the Kaminoans have built into her. So the other thing is we were speculating early was she the to sum total of all of the yeah all of their abilities. Perhaps, yeah. perhaps the bad batch is the the parts of her. Right, right, right. The the reverse of that, like, like, like she is the total package, but not mm-hmm. not in that order. Like she almost, they were trying to recreate her, and this is what the bad batch was because they're accelerated age, and she isn't. Yeah, so maybe they came out of the right. tube at the same time, or or even they're they perhaps even yeah. though the dyna- you know maybe yeah. they're younger than she is, right? Even and, though because of that advanced growth, just that, and 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 so maybe it's. The inverse of the maybe she is the sum total of them, but maybe they're just the parts of her, and her master strategy is certainly Hunter's sort of primary ability. So I'm going to go so far as to say that just because of what we know through Rise of Skywalker, she's probably not going to be a Jedi. Doesn't mean that no. she won't be a Force user, but she's not likely to be a Jedi. Certainly, right. and if she is, she lived. <laughs> Because she's not one of the voices in Ray in Ray's head at the end. I'm curious to know though. Like, let's say she does go on, and this is this is how she solidifies her usefulness to the to the team by becoming sort of, you know, Hunter's the 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 tactical planner. Tech is the tech guy. Echo is the uh, you know the infiltration guy. Wrecker's the muscle, and Crosshair's the the you know the eye in the sky. Could Omega take on a Barbara Gordon Oracle kind of role for the team? I mean, it's possible. It certainly keeps her safer physically until yeah. she's you know at this level. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's enough episodes left to establish that. I mean, that could be an overarching thing to get you know into the second season and have yeah, her, yeah, yeah. Her specific role. Yeah, I. <laughs> it's it's a good thought. It's. I like it because it could be either thing and both things satisfy me. Yeah. 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 Neither one of them is a bad option. If she's force sensitive. Awesome. If she's just super wicked, 
Django Fett instinct, then Wicked. Neither one bothers me at all. Well, we did. We did make. I made that joke last night as we were talking uh, before, as we were getting ready to uh, to get together today, and I said, you know, they've already made her a Fett. If they make her a Fett and and a Force user, wow, that's a whole lot of awesomeness packed into one character. And I mean, did you not? Yeah, jam lightsabers in Boba Fett's hand when you were a kid, though. Isn't that, isn't that what you wanted more than anything? In yeah, my head, yeah. I, in my head, canon, when I was like 10 years old, Boba Fett was the other that Yoda spoke about. Right, Before right, I right. The Jedi, he was there the is other. another. It's this guy. It's that guy. 100%. I, I had said last night that if they if they go so far, if they, if they run, like, if they run with Omega and she's, uh, you know, uh, becomes a legacy character going forward. If they make her a force user and a fet, you know, any comments about, you know, Ray being a Mary Sue will sound like a compliment. <laughs> Let's just make her the Padawan of Ahsoka Tano and get it over. Okay. With. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. So we might be closer than we actually think on this one though, because yeah. in the previous episodes, like they paired her up, like when they were hunting for that one piece of uh, equipment, they paired her up with Hunter. That's right, yeah. And then during the trying to retrieve the tactical droid, they put her in kind of a crosshair position. Yeah. yeah and yeah. then on the... That whole uh, training thing. Yeah, with, yeah. Uh, with Wrecker, Wrecker. And then again on the on the bridge of the ship with Tech. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she's yeah. kind mm-hmm. of taking her, you know, lessons with each of them. That's true. To put her closer to that uh, Barbara Gordon. Yeah. She's definitely a sponge uh, when it comes to taking stuff in. That's for sure. Yeah. And apparently Bobby Fisher at the same time. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> All right. In a wine cellar below the Senate building, Captain Bragg, along with an interrogation droid, begin to interrogate Senator Singh. She accuses him of defying imperial law and openly encouraging civil discord. And even though he's bound to a chair, the senator defiantly proclaims that his loyalty is to the people and not the empire, adding that their draconian tactics won't work on him. At that point, Captain Bragg moves aside, motioning her interrogator droid forward. But before the droid can inject him, a smoke grenade goes off, and a volley of stun blast fills the room, subduing the Imperials. It's Hunter, Tech, and GS-8, who's still clutching the vase uh, from the, the scene before. <laughs> Checking the security system, Tech informs them that their position has been compromised. Rushing outside onto an observation deck, the Batch see a large force of clones and walkers moving to surround the Senate building. This is part of that uh, response thing, maybe, that you were talking about, Andy, mm-hmm. how fast people just kind of showed up. Yeah. But this this whole sequence here, so now, like, this is the the, the heavy-duty action sequence of the, of the show this week. And, uh, man, this is that... I can remember early, early on, and as a young teenager playing uh, the Star Wars RPG, Hank, and and that like never-ending supply of stormtroopers that just kept coming, wave after wave after wave after wave. And to yeah. me, it really felt like like some of those early RPG sessions that I had played, where I'm like, oh, you know, these guys have the same sort of thought process that I do, where like as the guy who's running the game, I can never run out of bad guys. <laughs> no, it's it's true, and I mean, they the they're if they're they're nothing if not dramatic like there's no practicality to big giant walkers that are pro- approaching you slowly from the snow when you could just oh, I know. blow up the 
the shield generator from space, you know, like there, it's all about just bravado and fear tactics and stuff. So absolutely. It just, it oodles of stormtroopers pouring over the ridges. Just, I mean, it's perfect. And that's exactly what, you know, we would, you know, five stormtroopers is boring when we know that, you know, the three of us could take five stormtroopers. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> need to up the ante. This whole sequence here, the going back and forth from walker to walker and, and then like wave after wave of troops. And then there's a scene where a shot where the camera's, it's high and pulled back and you actually see like how tight the quarters are that they're maneuvering. And I'm like, living here where we are, there's, there's a street where it's, it's clearly marked no, no trucks. And every year a truck goes down that street and it, and it clips, <laughs> and it clips a bridge. I had visions of the walkers knocking out corners of buildings. That's how tight it is in this episode, right? Yeah, perfect. It's also hard to watch them be the bad guys. The, these, these, you know, the the silhouettes, if you will, of the troops, you know, yeah, and the uh, yeah. the shapes of the ships in unfamiliar situations. Because now we're fighting for our lives against them, and it's, yeah, it's 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 still harrowing. Like it's still it's a reminder that this is a broken, you know, the, the way things ended was just so catastrophically yeah. horrible yeah yeah from their high vantage point the batch assault one of the walkers using zip lines to board it with a few well-placed ion grenades and and uh, stun blasts they subdue the crew and quickly commandeer it as they continue to make their escape the batch spotted now by captain bragg orders another walker to begin firing at them and a well-placed artillery round strikes them uh, in the hindquarters and immobilizes their walker there's a great comedy beat when they jump on, though, with the zip line. Uh, with Wrecker? Or... Wrecker and uh, the senator. He's like, I can't do that. And he's like, are you afraid of heights? Yeah. <laughs> Close your eyes. Just hold, <laughs> just hold on or whatever he says. And he's like, oh, grumbling about having to do it, having to go down the zip line. <laughs> All right. So, but the damage to the walker isn't critical. And Tech informs him that it can be recalibrated, but it must be done manually and from the outside. As the second walker closes in, Hunter and Wrecker dismount and fan out in an effort to hold them off, while Tech and Echo set to work on the damaged axle. And in a well-coordinated attack, using similar tactics to those they used to commandeer their own walker, the two clones subdue yet another walker. Uh, But it's to no avail as a well-placed artillery round from yet a third walker destroys the one that they are presently standing on. Fortunately, Hunter and Wrecker are able to leap away just in time, but the third walker, supported now by more Imperial troops, pushes forward into the courtyard. So this is the this is this like really tense moment where uh, the retired service person in me kind of goes like, "Oh, you know, as far as a, a as a military engagements goes, this is the situation that no that no commander wants to find themselves in where." You have a superior, you have a superior number of, of of opponents, and they are so aggressive and they are moving so fast that all you can do is react. As a as a soldier, you never want to react to the enemy. You always want to have them react to you, and uh, that's not the case here. And the guys are, are Kobayashi Maru. They're pinned down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The un the unwinnable scenario, I believe we call that. So yeah, pinned down behind one of the legs of the destroyed walker, Hunter presses Tech for a sit-rep. 
Tech tells him that uh, he needs more time, but before he can turn his attention back to the repairs, he and Echo are overrun by Imperial troops. But from the belly of the walker, an unseen Senator Singh snatches the priceless vase from GS8's hands and hurls it at one of the troopers, striking him <laughs> in the head. <laughs> oh, I loved it. And then, of course, he comes out and he's like, I never much cared for that vase. <laughs> so much for the uh, priceless vase that, uh, you know, GS8 must be like, oh my God, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Held on to it this long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny to see them fixate on, you know, the 3PO does that, if fixate on a certain thing, make it uber important, but it's, you know, it's innocuous. Yeah, exactly. You know, how many times, there's only so many ways you can tell me the odds, man. Like, <laughs> I don't need to hear it anymore. <laughs> Just keep it to yourself. So a few seconds later, the recalibration is complete and the clones are back on the move. From the cockpit, Senator Singh points down an alleyway. Tech remarks that it appears like a choke point, and the Senator replies, you're just going to have to trust me. Yeah, so we get the Senator who's uh, pointing, and I mean, you know, for uh, Tech, who's pretty much a uh, call-it-like-it-is kind of guy, kind of denote a little bit of nervousness there, which is kind of odd for him because he's so uh, deadpan in everything that he says. Well, without knowledge of further what his options are down that turn. Yeah. You know, he sees that as a losing choice. That's true. So, yeah. But the Imperial troops, which now consist of at least three more walkers and a dozen or more troops, continue the pursuit. Arriving at the dead end, uh, Senator Singh has Tech position the walker parallel to a stone wall. Opening an exterior hatch, he points to a spot on the wall and asks the clones to blow a hole in it saying that it leads to a subterranean passage. Wrecker accommodates the request by placing an explosive on the wall and then closes the armored hatch. When the explosion clears, the group flee the walker into the subterranean passage just as the pursuing artillery places another well-placed shot, destroying their walker. But as the group make their way through the tunnels, Wrecker stops to plant another explosive, sealing the opening behind them. Smarter than he looks. <laughs> Absolutely. There's a great, uh, I'll get to it in a minute, but there's a great moment with him coming up that I just love. Like, it's probably mm -hmm. the most mature thing. It's immature at the same time, but it's very, like, football jock, but it was so appropriate for the moment. Yeah, he's still my favorite clone 10 episodes in. Now uh, clear of the city, the Bad Batch, along with Senator Singh and GS8, make their way through the forest back to the Havoc Marauder. And as they board the ship, the Senator pauses to question his actions. Should point out, though, the door was closed this time. They had to open it. So somebody took the keys with them this they time. They locked the ship this time. <laughs> it's about time. Fearing that uh, he's abandoning his people, Senator Singh says that he has to help them. And supportively, GS8 says, you will, but not if you're in Imperial custody. And <clears throat> in a huge moment for Echo, he agrees with the droid, adding, live to fight another day common ground the, and there it is you know like here's the guy who uh you know 10 minutes ago was pinning your droid you know against a wall ready to murder it you know wants nothing to do uh with this mission at all because you know it's a separatist thing and now he's finally hit that like oh maybe there's more here you know common between us than i originally thought it's kind of a falcon captain a moment of, what's that yeah well, well certainly there's a level of trust now that's been established. I think uh, so. Know, here's my dangerous plan. It worked. Okay. Yeah. 
and kind of a Captain America Falcon moment because it's like, you know, the same people shooting at you are shooting at me now. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. The enemy of my enemy. Yeah. Right. And with that, they board the Havoc Marauder and leave Raxus. Arriving back at Sid's place, the Batch are taken back by the whooping and cheering coming from the bar. They look puzzled as more and more people rush to get inside the building. Once inside, they can see that the room is full and all eyes are on Omega, who is presently playing a game of Dejaric against a Pantoran opponent. Sid is standing behind her with a hand on her shoulder. Omega, seeing the clones have just returned, waves to them before making her final move to win the game. Hunter shoots a disproving look at Sid, who then promptly closes all betting. Beaming with excitement, Omega grins ear to ear as Sid exclaims, She's a natural! I've never seen anything like it! But Hunter admonishes her, saying that he told her to keep a low profile while they were gone, and this is the furthest thing from it. As the smile drops from Omega's face, Sid plays a little pokey chest with Hunter, telling him to ease up, because Omega just earned enough money to pay off their debt. So he should try and show a little gratitude towards her friend. Also, he's got kind of a lot of nerve here. <laughs> they just went in clone armor, yep. in Bad Batch armor, yep. to a, a, an Imperial-controlled former capital world of the Confederacy <laughs> and kidnapped a senator. If that doesn't go right back to Tarkin, come on, <laughs> come on. <laughs> so who's laying low? <laughs> who's laying yeah, low? Yeah, really. That's oh, a crazy You want some money in a, in, a, in, a, in a known criminal, like, underworld bar? <laughs> Because Tarkin right now is like, Vader, go get him. I'm, I've had enough of this. <laughs> really? All right. As Sid ushers uh, Senator Singh and GS8 back to her office, Wrecker, and here's the part, here's the, the jock thing, which I think is so, so super cool. Wrecker literally shoulder checks Hunter and gives him like uh, an FU look as he pushes past him before he uh, heads off with the rest of the team. Such a cool <laughs> moment for Wrecker. Like... It, you know, pardon my language, but it was like the big fuck you moment. You're a fucking idiot. You know, especially mm-hmm. when you go back and I, I know I didn't, I didn't get it, uh, put it in the notes, but, uh, back at the beginning when Hunter was talking about, uh, Omega needing a rest, he's like, she looks fine to me. Yeah. Like he was completely like, let her make her own decisions. And, yep. uh, you know, and Hunter was like, no, no, she needs a rest. And of course, and the dynamic more like a brother than a father. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we did miss one part um, when they're on mission and Tech is with Hunter. Hunter says, you and Echo. Or, oh, that's uh, You and right. Omega, sorry. That's right. And he's like, uh, that. that's, uh, impossible. that's impossible because she's, she's not, here. not here. That's right. So yeah, even just, he is starting to become, you know, reliant on her being part of the squad. It shows you where his mind at is. It shows you, like, what's on the forefront of his mind yeah. is his concern for Echo. In that moment, he's like, okay, so you've got, you make, or sorry, concern for Omega. We sorry. both did it. Yeah. Uh, no, that's yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's pr- his foremost concern yeah. is, is Omega. So it, it is. It, it, it Freudians out there. So now alone, Hunter asks Omega, you really paid off our debt? And Omega tells him that she wanted to be useful even if she couldn't go on the mission. And in a very insightful moment, Hunter resets the Dejaric table asking Omega, how about we put those strategy skills to the test? And uh Yeah. They sit down, and it's uh, one match, and if she can win against Hunter, she won't have to sit out any more missions. Facing each other, Hunter asks Omega, are you ready for this? And with a smirk, she replies, are you? And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, 
that's the end of our episode. <laughs> Fade to black. <laughs> so it's funny though. I mean, it doesn't matter because this is all, it's all off camera now. We know she's going to win. But I'm screaming, like, is she going to legitimately win or is he going to let her win? I know, like, it ultimately it doesn't matter because it achieves that, you know, this is his way of maybe saving face in, in like, I can lose this. She feels validated that she's still part of the team. And now I don't have to say I'm sorry for not taking you with me in the first place. Yeah, also, I think he's testing her, really, for real. Yeah, for he's real, for sure, her. for sure. I think he plays her hard and I yeah. think she beats him. Yep. Yeah, that's the and the funny part. This is the cool part about stuff like this is because it's off camera, we as the viewers get to decide how that plays out, and so that, I think that's kind of a a fun little little way. Right, to it'll end be the unspoken too, and it'll yeah. just be a matter of fact when you don't see her taking any time off. That's or right. If the time oh. off is organic. Maybe yeah. we'll get an answer. Who knows? Four episodes, maybe halfway through next season. Yeah, knows? maybe maybe we'll get it in in the rematch where she just she just trounces him and he's like, I don't want to play you anymore. <laughs> it's also it reminded me of the way in uh, in uh, Kotor that you actually one of the first ways you get to make money is through gambling. Oh, that's right. Yeah. In a card game, you know, so it's a, a little bit of a dip into that. It's like a legitimate way. Yeah, your character becomes famous at uh, yeah playing yeah yeah a sabak or a subversion of sabak. I think. So 60%, you know, we don't get a, a credit value of how much they're into her for, but man, 60%. So, like, how much money did she really win, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> ostensibly she'd been playing the whole time, and how long were they gone? I don't know. You know how long was that mission? A week, a couple of days? It's hard sure. to tell. It seems like it was hours, but maybe not. Certainly you could win a lot of money in one round. Well, chances are it was multiple rounds. Like, hey, step up and challenge the whiz kid, right? No, exactly. And it, it, it had drawn a crowd, so it had been going on for a while. A little bit of the last Starfighter type thing going on there. Yeah. So uh, we started this episode, um, you know, and, and initially my, my initial thoughts were, of all the episodes uh, to date, this one was the filler episode. But Andy, you had said... I, you know, I look at it more as a breather episode. The breather episode. And like, I think that is a far better... Because... They don't let you forget. They say, you know, Omega, you got to take a break because there's still two bounty hunters coming after you. Yeah, so we're not done right, with them. Right. They're coming back along with who knows what else. Probably our benefit. Yeah. But. And it's um, like we said in The Mandalorian, you you take that deep breath before you yeah. jump off the cliff, right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we, uh, some major things that are established is Omega is integral to the team. Yep. No more side mission kind of things. And the, now we've lost our reliance on Sid, right? Whether she can, now maybe she becomes an adversary at this point since they don't owe her anything. Right. Certainly they're worth more to her in her camp. But so now we've sort of fit, wrapped that storyline up as well. We've, we're, we're no longer indentured servants. So now we're on our own ostensibly. On the, uh, um, on the Sid connection, you know, we've, we talked about her as the, uh, the frenemy thinking that it was only a matter of time before the double cross or the sellout was coming. How do we feel about that now that she's actually come out and, and referred to Omega as her friend? I think she's laying yeah, so, on the side of, of them. She won't sell them out. Yeah. Yeah. She's, no, I don't, I don't feel that. I, I like, and I also don't feel we'll return there much more. I don't, I think her sort of uselessness as a, or usefulness as a plot device has yeah. been, has yeah. reached its apex. 
I mean, they certainly it could be for information later, or you know, she's a good enough character, and right. Mia Perlman's amazing in it, and it's not lost on me that she's running Cheers there. Yeah, Dorian right? <laughs> and the Kiki are Norman. And yeah, Cliff. yeah, yeah. It's, that stuff is not lost on me. So it's you know, it'd be a fun bar to return to uh, in the future and see if she's like Maz Kanata and still running things. I think that yeah, would be really. kind of neat. But so many subtle things that were really strong in moving the narrative to where we need to be a cohesive team with, with Omega, solidly a functioning part of the team with everyone's trust. And because yeah. now we're going to move forward at a breakneck pace, you know, and we're going to see some Boba Fett and we're going to need her to be at her best and for them to be at their best to deal with that however it comes. Yeah, I mean, that whole family dynamic is going to get challenged again when there is a literal family reunion of sorts. And uh, that's probably going to, you know, bring up some more questions about, you know, it's like when, uh, when uh, what's that, the DC movie, Superman, Batman, Apocalypse, when Supergirl shows up? Ah, yes. And everybody wants to get their hands on Supergirl yeah. to, to sort of mold who, her and form her. Who should train her? Who should yeah. raise her? Yeah, yeah. We may get some Our of that dynamic. Best. Definitely, yeah. and Boba would definitely feel like, you know, blood. Has There's some Trump's obligation there, yeah. Clones, yeah. right. Chain code, brother, chain code. <laughs> All and right, did guys. Did you notice that her bandolier's back this week? It it didn't leave. It I, she, did for when Cad Bane had her. She was stripped of all her stuff. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now she's yeah. got her stuff back. And minus I think the, uh, minus, minus the calm link. Yeah. But uh, right. I, I was think she curious. was even wearing it while she was woodying the bar there. I was curious to know if she was going to get that replaced. And I, th- I still think on some level, the armor set is coming. Will more armor will build. I think forward. so. And if it, if it doesn't, I would like it to. <laughs> Although I mean, you know, I, child size kind of armor. Cool if Boba gave her some armor. Well, that, like, so there's you know, another, yeah, another element, you know, like, uh, there's some best guy, some best guy in this, uh, in this here, uh, show. <laughs> Either way, I'm super excited to uh, to get to next week to see where we go next. The joke last week was you're never going back to Camino, which really means you're going back to Camino. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we've got some stuff to tie up there. Huge dangling threads that weren't even addressed in this episode, right? It's almost like you, if you go too long, you'll forget that there's all these other moving parts. Yeah, we got Rampart. another, uh, yeah. So I was just talking about Rampart. We've got a new Imperial this week. We've got Captain Bragg. Is she going to? Is Bragg. she going to be recurrent? Uh, you know, is she going to report to Rampart? Who's going to report to Tarkin? Who's going to report to the Emperor? Yeah, who knows? I think it helps just flesh things out. I don't know if they want to get too convoluted, colluded with. You know, certainly you're going to probably have. You know, like what I said is Tarkin. They're on the phone with Tarkin right now. This they yeah, didn't do a yeah, light yeah. thing here. They were clearly the bad batch they clearly kidnapped the senator yeah clearly yep. so you know it's those same not, guys that you were talking to like a week ago yeah. they've just popped up on the radar in the largest way yeah and i don't know sid probably couldn't even keep the empire from finding them now that's what i mean though like i on some level like you say they're probably done with her but i was thinking you know does she still serve a purpose in like it's a if nothing else it's their home base but if the home base is compromised and like you say, the empire's coming with a with a zeal that you can't contain, they gotta go somewhere. Yeah. And that's their MO. They overpower you with numbers and fanfare yeah. and flags yeah, that yeah. say the Empire. So And that could be sort of the way that they part ways. Maybe, you know, Sid's Sid's operation is is uh literally uh, torn asunder, 
you know, the infrastructure is torn out from under her as the Empire right, Just in. like the castle of Mazkanat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You just destroy the place. Figure the the Imperials are going to be coming in the front door, and she's going to be helping them escape out but the she's back. But she's a wily one. She's a survivor. I bet, you know, even if they do, if they took the whole building down around her, I bet you she makes it out. Yeah. And given her uh, her underworld connections, maybe that is a, you know, another way to introduce some other unsavory characters that we all want to see. And, yeah. Like we were joking around last week, perhaps Boba's connection to her is that she is a relative of Bosk, and she calls yeah. Bosk in for help, and there's Boba. That's right. Well, exactly, because look at that episode back in Clone Wars where they're in prison together. You know, the, the fight with uh, Obi-Wan slash Rocco Hardeen. Uh, right. Where Bosk is like, you got a problem with Boba, you got a problem with me. So mm-hmm. clearly, there's a relationship there. So I mean, it, it's not a far stretch to to go back and say, is uh, is that Bosk's mom? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, and it's yeah. also not a stretch to think that if Django trained Cad Bane and Cad Bane, at least in the legends and and stuff, trained Jan- uh, Boba, yeah. that that may put him initially at odds with Fennec Shand. So there might, you know, like, so he might yeah, come yeah. in Cad Bane's camp and discover, it's almost more organic if he discovers to do it Omega that way, yeah. is his sister than to actually be called in and go, hey, uh, come find your sister. And it serves Tooper. It's a, a dual service there to connect him to Omega, the new sister, which puts him right back at odds with Cad Bane and that whole, right. uh, that whole standoff. Right. What a so great a way to, of, you know, as much, uh, that didn't happen in this episode, it actually is a launch board for many different big, possible directions. Yeah, yeah, big, big springboard this week. So, again, uh, I thought it started with thinking it was a filler, and I, I'm ending on uh, lots of nuance. Nice, nice break. We got to have our breather, uh, and now we get to suck back and reload for the next, uh, for the next launch, which it's, uh, it's only a week away. Yep. Few more episodes to go before we hit the end of this one. Before we get going today, I just want to close off on some more Star Wars rumors. Mm-hmm. Did you guys catch the rumors for the Obi Wan series this last week? I don't know. I've got some different ones, so go ahead. Yeah. I am super, super excited because some of my favorite villains that go all the way back to the D6 Star Wars West End games. RPG are rumored to be coming to live action in the Obi-Wan series. And what a way we've, we've sort of questioned this. How does Obi-Wan have an adventure on Tatooine if he doesn't go anywhere? Well, you bring the action to him in the form of inquisitors. So true. There's a rumor that uh, live action inquisitors are going to uh, show up and try to hunt him. And that, that would be cool. So that's my news this week. Yes. Well, that's, uh, that's awesome. Other Obi Wan news. Uh, didn't you and McGregor just have a kid? He did. Yes, he did. Yeah. So congratulations to him. Yeah, he can yeah. afford it. That's my. Uh, <laughs> that's my. Uh, that's it for me this week. I've really got nothing else to add. I'm super excited about uh, where we're going. So ma, ma, the Fennec Shand actress. Uh, my goodness, Ming Na Wen. She right uh, she did an interview where she talked about um, during the filming of the first four episodes of of Boba Fett. Book of Boba Fett, the scripts were literally numbered 301, 302, 303, and 304. Okay. She thought she was filming Mandalorian, Mandalorian season, season three. three yeah. In fact, everybody on set, even though Robert Rodriguez was involved, yeah. thought they were filming 
and it wasn't until like she realized she was in the fifth episode and and then read scripts and oh wait a minute so they took they it's not such a an easter egg or anything but they took to calling the filming of this project which is wrapped now by the way yeah yeah um calling it a mandalorian season 3.5 is what they three and a half it. i know there's been it's been kind of publicly the same way that our our animation is now dipping in and out of each other they were pretty public about saying that these these live action shows were going to have some cross-pollination and that's right. But that's a cool way to do it cuz I mean what's the what's the other, you know, the other shocker is, you know, 3 301. Like are you giving me season 3 scripts in season 1 because you've got an order for that many and we're right. shooting stuff out of order because it's relevant? Could be. That's and cool. The other thing I wanted to talk about was the um the canceled Seth Green Disney or well, Star Wars show. Yeah. Uh, oh my goodness. <laughs> it was like disjointed or something like that i'm forgive me everyone but it was it was a a star wars comedy show yeah that was 39 episodes are complete 65 scripts are written seth green and his partner ben seinrich from robot chicken uh worked on this with george lucas for four years and then george lucas sold to disney and they they've canned it and He's recently tried to get it back, you know, saying, can we get it on Disney Plus? And he's been met with no, basically no. Star Wars Detours. Detours. Thank you very much. Now, there are clips out there on YouTube you can watch. There's a real good one with Han Solo. Star Wars Detours is an unaired American CGI animated comedy series. It is differentiated from the other Star Wars animated series in that it is a parody of the franchise, offering a comedic take on what happened between the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy. Has uh, 39 produced episodes over two seasons, produced by George Lucas, Seth Green, and Matthew Senrick. Matt, Matt Senrick, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it'll probably never see the light of day except for the odd YouTube clip. But the the article that I read was almost an interview with with Seth Green, yeah, yeah. where he said, "I don't give a flying f if it ever sees the light of the day because I got to work for four years every right, right. day with yeah. my hero." Right. And I made him laugh every day and he made me laugh every day. And I worked on Star Wars in such an intimate way. Like yeah. we were able to parody it and tear it to pieces and, you know, and, and have fun with it in a way that you could never have. And it made me like, you know, and now that he's back in the fold playing Toto 360 again, yeah. it, it just makes me, it makes me such a fan of that guy. Actually. Listen, I, like, I wouldn't on a level that I never was before. It, like I wouldn't hold out cool person. I would hold out for some hope that there is a chance. And the reason I say that is Lucas, who completely disavowed the holiday special. Well, even that got overturned to some degree when they plucked the faithful Wookiee right out of the holiday special and, and, and tossed it up on Disney plus. So, you know, that's right. There's some precedence there, I'd say, you know, for uh, for that to, to happen. Who knows? There's a lot of chatter on the people I usually don't pay any attention to. I don't even want to give their names out here. Sure. But they're all usually very negative about the property. Are yeah. all saying yeah. that there's been like this internal coup that, that John Favreau is finally going to undo the sequels. And that George Lucas is back involved. Oh, uh, we've all heard that, you know. <laughs> and they keep, and it just keeps going and going and going, but... Certainly, George Lucas has been involved with the Mandalorian, but we've and we've always said that uh, you know it, there's nothing that 
and of course now it's it's hugely public now that the uh, his position has been updated but we've always said like i can't imagine there's anything that john favreau does in star wars that he doesn't go uh hey dave what do you think of this yeah 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 you know i i completely agree and if 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 dave and george aren't still close they have to be i'm sure they're exactly and so it's i you know and Let's not forget that there's four billion dollars in in Disney shares that George Lucas controls. As That's well. right. Yeah. Beyond the four yeah. billion dollars in cash that he got, he also is majority shareholder of Disney. Yeah. Well, so I mean, he's Disney, got right? a he's got a stake. So, right. He's a and stakeholder. I, I yeah. Right. And I think that he's just living his life and and going no no that's not the way Han Solo acts. And now back to my beach, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. And I, perfect. Yeah. Hey, George, we got a question for you. Um, just ask Dave. American Graffiti 3. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any more for any more before we sign off today? I got nothing. Okay. Well, guys, it's been another uh, amazing uh, episode of The Bad Batch. And it has been yet another amazing episode of our little show here, The Fan Batch. And uh, we love what we're doing. We hope you do too. And uh, until next week, my friends, same batch time, same batch channel, and we'll catch you next week. Bye for now, guys. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Fandom Power. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be talking about another one of your favorite fandoms. Fandom Power is a Sawcast production. Have you ever wanted to start a podcast, but you didn't know where to begin? Maybe you'd like to try podcasting without having to invest in any recording equipment. Do you have an idea for a show, but you're not sure how to develop it? Let Sawcast Productions take care of all of that so you can focus on what it is you want to say. Sawcast Productions offers podcasting solutions ranging from recording and basic editing to fully produced episodes complete with all the audio embellishments of a broadcast quality show. When your show is ready... Sawcast Productions can distribute it too. Contact us online today. So, what do you want to say? <laughs> <laughs>